small crimes turn into bigger crimes if not dealt with. The Broken Windows Theory. Hey, Rob, you blind. I saw you break that window. Meddling busybody. That window was like that when I arrived. I'm calling the police. Ooh. Don't run. Sergeant, be safe. I saw Rob you blind try to break into that building. Thank you, concerned citizen, for letting me know. We will definitely investigate. Minor crimes such as vandalism, loitering, curfew violations, public drunk, jaywalking, or driving with your headlight or taillight out. Minor crimes turn into bigger crimes if not reported. Sergeant, be safe. I would have gotten away with this if it weren't for you and these nosy citizens. Community policing begins with you. So if you don't want to see your neighborhood go down the tubes, if you see a crime, report it. Sergeant, be safe here. That's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now.
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you guys for tuning in. You are now witnessing another episode of the the lab that's transitioned onto black and blue. It's a motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker, Coach Cleek, coming at you. And those of you that know about the transition, we transition where we interview people with businesses, products, and positive messages. Now we solely tra uh, transition and interview individuals, police officers in the United States of America that are either rookie, seasoned, or retiree that, that are law enforcement or law enforcement experience. Therefore, we can get a, a avid exp uh, uh, experience and, and perspective on things that everyone's gone through. You guys know that I'm on the job myself currently. Been on the job for a few years now. For uh, I'm considered an old man in the game, which is okay. But we we gain a lot of insight and a lot of uh, inspective a perspective from the uh, guests that we have. Uh, we got a special guest. Some of you may know her. Others, you may not. Uh, she's retired. Uh, she's going to give us good insight. I'll introduce her here in a minute. But however, we need to transition and talk about the sponsors that are here. Sponsored, one of them is in the comment section. Make sure you click on it. Don't do it now, but make sure you click on it after the uh, this live itself. MG4 Tech. Um, they, they can do all your online needs, whether you're looking to be a podcaster, whether you're looking to do anything digital, he can get your dreams and make them a reality. Make sure you reach out to him. He does great work. If you just need advertising, if you just need flyers, whatever you may need, reach out to him. Also a sponsor, One Way Publishing. One Way Publishing, their motto is they can take a mere thought and turn it into a book that's bought. If you see a couple books right here, I've self-published right here through One Way Publishing, and there's also others that have done so as well, and they've been very successful in their endeavors. So make sure you guys check that out. Workwithclee.com is scro scrolling right below, and it's also in the comment section for One Way Publishing. Make sure that you don't you don't want someone else to, to write the story of your life. You want to do it yourself, and you are the best author of your own life. So do it. Get it done. Make sure you reach out to them and, and turn a mere thought and turn it into a book that's bought. Sergeant B. Safe says best. Here he is. Hi, I'm Sergeant B. Safe. One Way Publishing is the sponsor for the podcast Black and Blue. And these books behind me are a few of the books that are on their website. Check out the latest one, The Lab Part 2. It just came out. It's a compilation of former guests that were on the show. But make sure you tune into the podcast. That way you can see cartoons of me giving out safety tips on how you can be safe. See for yourself. Go to the website, workwithclee.com. Subscribe now. And you know, Sergeant B. Safe is one of my favorite cartoon characters. I hope he is with you guys as well. Uh, I see, I see you, Marcel. Doc Coleman, thank you for tuning in. Please tag, like, and share. Also, if you're looking for that shout out, like you know, you're used to getting from the lab. I can't see who's on here until you actually comment in the stream. We're streaming on five different platforms right now two on Facebook, one on LinkedIn, and two on YouTube right now. So make sure you put your name and where you're from in the building, and we'll get your shout out out there. Uh, that's also how we're going to acknowledge questions. If you have questions, make sure you put them in the comment section, and we will acknowledge your questions. All right. Well, without Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I want to bring to the stage Barbara Tom Thomas. 
She's a retired detective and investigator from San Antonio, Texas. She's been working more than 30 years in law enforcement, and she's also a, um, a veteran of the Air Force, did 10 years active duty and four years um, in the reserves. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'm going to bring Barbara to the stage. Barbara, are you here? Here. Barbara, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to have you on the show. I'm looking to gain some more insight on your experiences and, and things that you've done. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, yeah. Um, I Like you, as you already mentioned, I started off in the Air Force. Um, I actually started off as a jet engine mechanic. And oh, wow. um, I worked on B-52 bombers and KC-135 mm -hmm. tankers. And um, didn't like doing that. So I cross-trained and I um, became an intelligence analyst, which I really love that job. So I did that for about 10 years. Um, then I applied for the San Antonio Police Department. I um, was accepted. I left the Air Force on a Friday and I started the police academy on a Monday. So there wow. was no break in between. I was on terminal leave from the Air Force at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so that started my uh, police career. Uh, I worked... Um, I was on patrol for um, 16 years. I worked, uh, we have in San Antonio, we don't have precincts, we have substations. Okay. So I, we have six substations. I worked four out of four of those six substations okay. over the course of my career. Mm -hmm. um, also, I became a hostage negotiator. My probably second year on the department, I became a hostage negotiator. And I okay. did that for 14 years. Great job. Loved it. Um, I then went into recruiting, did mm -hmm. recruiting for a while. That probably that was probably my toughest assignment is getting people to sign up. <laughs> uh, and then I um, I was assigned to the repeat offenders program. It's a unit that goes after, uh, repeat, as it says, repeat offenders. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that during um, right after 9-11. Um, my partner and I, we were assigned initially assigned to do drug buys and uh, then assigned to do stolen uh, property recovery. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was a group fencing property out of Houston. So we were assigned to that. And okay. we literally, I mean, and I say literally, we stumbled across the terrorist cell here in San Antonio. So oh, wow. And so we were assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which was very interesting. So I enjoyed that work. Um, and also it was great because of my background in intelligence. It was really good. So I really enjoyed that. Um, then I was assigned to the training academy. I worked there for five years, the academic mm -hmm. instructor. Um, and then I was promoted to detective investigator. I, um, my first assignment was, a. they had just right after I made, um, I mean, before I made detective, they had started a new program where, um, when you first make detective, you're assigned to what's called a uniform evidence detective investigator. Basically you just stay on patrol, but you do a hybrid of patrol work and crime scene processing. <laughs> so okay. I did that for a while. And then I, um, was assigned to the crisis response unit, which deals with family violence. So I ended up being a family violence detective, which was really interesting in itself. Um, from there, I retired. <laughs> so that's my career in a nutshell. That sounds like a career full of accomplishments and experiences. Look at you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, a lot of experience. So I want to take a step back and and, and kind of reverse. Uh, did you decide to enlist in the Air Force right out of school? 
Uh, actually, I was in college. I went to Ventura College. I'm originally from California. Okay. And um, I was I stayed in college because I was on the track team. And that, that was what I liked doing. <laughs> and it was like uh, ultimatum came from my mother. Um, either get better than C's or I'm not paying for you to go to school anymore. <laughs> so yes, I decided, yes. yeah, <laughs> mom will do that to you. So um, I decided, okay, well, let me see. What are my choices? So um, a friend of mine who wanted to go into the Navy convinced me to go with her to the Navy recruiter. She ended mm -hmm. up not going to Navy and I ended up going into the Air Force. <laughs> so that's, that's how that works, started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then you, you left for, for the Air Force and uh, how'd you get... Um, How'd you get wrestled into law enforcement and going? You you were in, like you said, you were, you went you were in the Air Force, and by the time you got out on a Friday, you were automatically on the uh, uh, in the academy that Monday. That's actually an interesting story because when I was when I was um in, I was stationed in Greece, came to San Antonio from Greece, so uh, I found a little townhome to live in, and the people that lived across from me, the townhome across from me, um. The, the husband, he was a SWAT officer. I would see him come home in his black uniform every day. Mm -hmm. And I used I look at my window and I, I would say, well, he still looks normal. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, let me give this a try. Because I was looking to get out of the Air Force at the time because okay. I really didn't want to go um, back overseas. So mm -hmm. um, I uh, applied, went through the process, got accepted. And since I was in the Air Force, you know, you have to get them to let you out because I hadn't finished my enlistment. Mm -hmm. So, um they let me out on a Friday and I started the academy. It just worked out that way. I started the academy wow. on a Monday. So, yes. Gotcha. And so while while in, in the academy and then graduating from the academy and then working, uh, like you said, patrol for the first couple of years, I'm assuming. Uh, what was that experience like? Um, it was it was different. Well, going through the academy was um, it. it I have to say, I can't speak for any other department, but San Antonio, we re they really do prepare you well. Okay. Um, when I went through the academy, it was six months long. It's I think it's up to eight months now. Oh, wow. um, okay. And then you have 17 weeks after you graduate of, um, um, with an FTO. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then you, you're on probation for a year. So if you mess up in that year, you're gone. <laughs> so, yeah, right. um, yeah, so, you know, it, it, there, I was prepared. I felt I was prepared when I came out to the street. Of course, there was still a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you get into a situation, it's like that training just comes back to you. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's ingrained. So, and I've told that to people before when people ask me, well, are you afraid? I say, well, it's healthy to have a certain amount of fear. You don't have fear. You probably might want to find another job. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but I tell them that you, you rely on your training. You always fall back on your training. And if you have good training, it's gonna, it's gonna work for you. Absolutely. I like that. I like that. And through uh, as as you were coming up through the ranks, is there anyone, um, a special individual, as a mentor or someone who influenced you through uh, through school, through college, through the Air Force, uh, through law enforcement, uh, and though th that or those individuals, how did they mold you to become the person that you are now? Well, I my biggest mentor was my mom. She was a, a, always ahead of her time and always told me I can do whatever I want. And she said, and she told me I was stubborn enough to do whatever I want. So <laughs> I did. But on the department, one comes to mind. Um, uh, she's a retired, retired assistant chief, Geraldine Garcia. Okay. Um, I met her when she, I believe, she, when I first came in the department, I believe she was either a detective or a sergeant at the time. And uh, she was always after me to promote. 
And every time she would see me, Barbara, when are you going to promote? I'm like, I'm having fun. I'm having too much fun on patrol right now, you know? And so finally, when I did promote, she was, she, she came up to me and told me, I, I've been telling you to do this for years. You finally did it. And I'm happy for you. So she was a, she was a really good influencer uh, mm -hmm. for me because she was also the first female um, that made it to the, the level of assistant chief on the, which is one level below the chief on the department. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always admired her for that. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you still keep in contact with her now? Uh, no, I, you know, I really, I've been so busy since I retired. I've been keeping myself busy. So I, unless I run into somebody, I actually ran into her at a doctor's office. So, <laughs> and so that's about the only way I've been keeping contact with people is when I run into them. Gotcha. And so you brought up that you're, that you're retired, and that's no secret. What is life uh, like in retirement after law enforcement? It's great. It's, it's initially it was scary. Initially, it felt like I was on leave and I was okay. I got to go back to work in two weeks. That's what yeah. it felt like. And then two weeks right. would pass. I'm like, okay, I got to go back to work in another two weeks. And so it was really strange. But for me, because I retired one month before lockdown, and mm. just like with everybody else, it was strange. So I really wow. didn't get to. I thought I would be um, off in Italy or somewhere. Um, no, I was sitting home on my couch watching Marvel movies over and over. So. <laughs> that sounds like a good time, but I not, not repeating it for a day or two. That sounds like a good day. <laughs> yeah, it was okay for a while, about four months. But four months in, I did get a call from a friend who was working at uh, Lackland and asked me if I wanted a job over there. Lackland is a, the Air Force um, base here in San Antonio, joint base yeah. in Lackland. And uh, it was teaching Navy trainees um, law enforcement the Navy mm -hmm. uh, Master of Arms program, teaching mm -hmm. the trainees. I believe at the time, because Navy was the only service that was not accredited at the time. So okay. they needed uh, trained law enforcement to, to you know, help to get them accredited. So, mm -hmm. and that was really interesting. I loved working with, I keep, I call them kids, but you know, they're 18, 19, 20, but I still wow. call them kids, but it was great working with them. So that kept me really busy uh, when I first retired after, you know, it was still during COVID, but, you know, we followed protocol and nobody got sick and it, 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 it was, it was fun. And then I got a call from another friend who said, Hey, I got a job if you're interested in, I really liked that when I went with that job and yeah. uh, Black Swan Group, it worked out really well. I, I loved that. I loved um, what they do. I never thought I would be able to use my negotiation training, law enforcement negotiation training, but that's the whole basis behind what they okay. do. And it worked out so well. But as I told you previously that I decided to leave um, because I want to do my own thing now. Mm -hmm. So. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. I know there, there's life after law enforcement. And that's, that's a question that comes up on this platform a lot. Uh, most uh, 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 rookies or seasoned officers are like, okay, when we get to the end of the race, what's next? You've identified yourself as being a law enforcement police officer, sheriff, someone in the, in the field for so long, you don't see the end game or life after that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think the people that tend to let the job become their entire identity are the ones that struggle with retirement. For me, it was an eight hour job. I've always treated anything I worked as, it's an eight hour job, I have a life after that. And I think that that's a healthy, healthy perspective to have because um, you know, you're dealing with so much on the job, you get very good at compartmentalizing things. Mm -hmm. And when, you, when uh, some people retire, they really struggle because of that, because they don't have um, that identity is stripped away. 
Right. I mean, they take away your ID and escort you out of the building you've been going into on your own for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I felt, I, I have to admit, I actually literally started shedding some tears because uh, when I had to go turn and get, get my photo taken for my retiree ID, Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, I get to turn in my badge now, my ID now. And she goes, yes. I go, how am I going to get out of the building? Because, you know, your badge is what opens doors. Mm -hmm. And I mean, your ID opens doors. And so she goes, oh, well, I'll escort you out. And the whole time we were walking all the way back down to the first floor, I literally was fighting tears. Wow. And, you know, when that door closed behind me, I was like, oh, my God, it's over. And so yeah. that was that was that was probably the toughest day to me was that day because it was so the reality just kind of set in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and like I said, I think that people who have made the job, their identity, mm -hmm. that's where that struggle begins for them. And they, and some of them don't recover from that. Right. I can understand that. I know a lot that, that that's their whole identity. So, and then I know a few also that are looking toward the end of the race. So yeah, it goes both ways. Yes. So let me ask you, in the way the world is today, uh, 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 law enforcement is very cyclic, you know, uh, especially with um, the beer virus, COVID, that went, was going on. Uh, we we kind of, and uh, some of the events that led up to things that happened throughout that time frame, law enforcement was at the very bottom. Uh, many times we're somewhere in the middle where we're, we're okay and people like us when they need us, but it's nice to be around, uh, uh, not seen but not heard type deal and then other times we're at the very top when everyone loves us and, and we're we're heroes what are your experiences going through each of those cycles throughout your career um kind of like exactly the way you described it it's it's like a roller coaster ride because there are times where everybody loves us which are rare <laughs> they don't come around as often you know everybody loves the fireman who kicks in the door fills your house with water and chops down you know chops your furniture in half and they're buying making baking cookies for them but for us you know no we don't get that so um but the, i think for me it was the individual victories Mm -hmm. the, 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 when I have somebody that came up to me and I didn't even remember who that person was and said, officer, you don't remember me. I'm like, um, I'm trying to like, Oh, who is this person? And like, you <laughs> saved my life. And I was like, I did. I said, tell me about it. And they would tell me about it. And I, and I, it would click. I would remember. And, um, those to me were very special. And mm -hmm. I think that, uh, in, in policing, you take your wins where you, when they mm -hmm. come to you and you hold on to those because right. you know like you said you know not everybody likes the police some mm -hmm. people love the police some people hate the police and then most people are probably in between that right yeah. right and so and, and i know i'm kind of going out of order um in the questions however uh i know how do you what challenges do you think law enforcement officials are facing now and how how can it counteract the challenges on how the police deal with the public and vice versa, how the public deals with uh, law enforcement? Uh, I think honesty is honesty and um, transparency. That's mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing. I think if people can see what you do, why you do, and what, see what you do, why you make the decisions that you do, they're more likely to say, okay, I understand. But if it's hidden, just like anything, if something's hidden, that that allows for the imagination to run wild. It, it allows for conspiracy theory, theories and everything else to start kicking in. Mm -hmm. So I think law enforcement does itself a disservice if they're not transparent in what they do. Um, I think that um, the community always has to come first. 
Mm -hmm. because we, we are the community. I mean, right. when we take off this uniform, just like anybody else out there. And if I, if I come home and somebody's broken into my house and I have to call an officer, um, that officer may not know who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be treated with the same respect that I would give someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. We discuss that on this platform a lot about um, community policing. That's always a hot topic. That question normally comes up almost every show uh, on community policing about um, uh, how often do departments get out and engage with the public? And I know there's a national night out. You have uh, coffee with the cop. You have shop with the cop or events like that. I uh, know nationally. Um, uh, were you involved in, in any of those events? Um, I'm pretty sure you have been. I know you said you did family crisis. So you kind of you kind of act uh, some of the negative things. You have to do some things that are <laughs> positive. Um, I, I hate to say it, but no, I wasn't in community policing. We have a, we have a unit called safe unit and we have a safe unit at every, um, substation and okay. they're the community police officers. They're, they're the ones that handle the long-term problems. Um, we're having, um, neighborhood war, you know, neighbors yeah. at war will refer them to the safe unit. And so they'll, they'll, they'll pick up the ball there and they're really good at settling things like that. They're also good at, um, we have houses that are falling down, you know, that aren't fit for people to live in. They, they'll work those problems all the way through. So um, I think that community policing is extremely important. Um, the problem is, I think it's the funding for it and mm -hmm. having enough people to carry it out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think there's just not enough, because you know, because as we all know, it's, it's recruiting is very hard. Uh, when it comes to it's always been and i mm -hmm. think in recent times it's probably even harder now mm -hmm. so without the people to carry that out it's um most of the uh here in san antonio the safe units are sort of um they're stretched yeah, <laughs> yeah I they're it. trying to do do like one one officer is trying to do the job of five mm -hmm. gotcha and ladies and gentlemen we're, and and barbara we're gonna pause for the calls quick we're gonna uh I did cut to a commercial here with Sergeant B. Safe. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. Uh, ooh, you fool. As we all enter this holiday season, be mindful and vigilant that this is when scammers and thieves like to take full advantage of us. It's more than just ghosts and goblins out there. There's real life monsters like Rob Blind and Chance Wilder ready to hurt and take advantage of kids and adults alike. Kids and parents, be mindful while out trick-or-treating and don't accept candy from strangers. There's a lot of things out there that may look like good candy that's actually very poisonous for you. So let's be safe and only go to places that you know and be accompanied by an adult that you trust. And that's your Halloween tip of the day to get you on your way. Ooh. Subscribe now.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Sergeant Be Safe says be be vigilant and be careful for Halloween. And we have more cartoons on the horizon. If you're interested in being a voiceover for a cartoon, inbox me or get a hold of me at workcomplete.com and we'll make that happen. We still got cartoons coming and we still have many more that we're going to be playing throughout the course of these lives. But back to back to the live, yeah, Barbara Thompson backstage. She told us about the Air Force and her, her journey through there being overseas. She told us about going through the police academy uh San Antonio and the and the many different um areas of the advantages of law enforcement that she's worked. Uh Barbara, you still here? Yes I am. Perfect, perfect. I want to talk about um law enforcement and mental health. I know it's a question that's been on the minds of a lot of people, especially lately. Uh, and I know we, it's something that we've de been dealing with in our career, at least as far back as I can remember. Uh, and I know it's something that's it's still going on. Uh, and from what I understand now and from what I experienced while still working, it's on the rise. Um, ha have you ever dealt with any kind of mental illness or any kind of anyone in mental or, or, or physical crisis? Uh, constantly. I think that that's just um, a subcategory of being an officer. You're going to always deal with mental health. It's it's right. there. Unfortunately, um, a lot of states don't um, fund their mental health. Um, their mental health budget is just, it's, it's atrocious. It's just mm -hmm. extremely little. I mean, uh, it's just not enough. So the problem is, is when people that are experiencing mental health crises, they're out on the street they're mm -hmm. not getting the medication they need or they're not taking the medication because it's making them feel bad because uh, maybe they should be on something else. So mm -hmm. it's it's um, it's a situation that builds on itself mm -hmm. and you start going down that rabbit hole if you're experiencing mental health in most states because um, you get you get um, admitted somewhere, whether it's emergency detention or on, on your own choice. Mm -hmm. And they let you out within hours mm -hmm. and give you some medication. And if you have somebody experienced mental health, they have um, a um, nowhere to go, mm -hmm. nowhere, no support system. They're not going to take their medication or they're not going to remember to take their medication. And they're back in the same situ they situation they were. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's, it's, um, I can't even think of the term for it. It's just, it repeats itself. It's just, recidivism. It's self, yeah. yes, it's self-defeating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and that's, that's hard for a lot of officers to have to deal with that on a continuing mm -hmm. basis. Right. Uh, and I know that you said you got out right around before the lockdown. Um, it, did your department or does your department, as far as you know, uh, have anyone that works alongside officers as in co-responders or mental health advocates that go out in the streets? Okay. Uh, yes, we have a mental health unit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And, and in your opinion, um, I know budgeting is, is always like the primary concern. Uh, and, and how effective is that? Do you think uh, the communities and individuals who are going through crisis are a lot are taken care of and a lot more safe, safer uh, having um, a mental health advocate working? Um, yes. And it's just like I said, with the safe officers, it's having enough people to do the job. Yeah. Because they're think about it. If the average patrol officer is responding to, on the average, five to six mental health calls a day, imagine mm -hmm. what a unit that's staffed by maybe 12, 13 people, that, and they're yeah. spread out across the city. They can't do it all. So mm -hmm. I think the um, funding and the staffing needs to be put in place first. You know, that's your infrastructure for a program like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
our uh, our unit's very good. Um, they do all of our um, CRT, CIT training okay. uh, for us, and so it's um, all of all of the SAPD officers are CIT trained, and it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, um, we do so not for, fortunately we do a lot for the community, but unfortunately we don't do enough for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because uh, and I, you might have saw the headlines. San Antonio has been experiencing a rash of officers that have committed suicide. No, I, I wasn't. Believe there's, there, I believe there's been five in the last. Um, I, I don't want to quote the time, but it, it's a very short time period, mm-hmm. and and including retirees, uh, mm-hmm. one that retired uh, two weeks before he committed suicide. So there's oh. a problem. Yeah, there's a problem there, and it needs to be addressed. What would your suggestions be on on self-care for officers while working on the job and retirees? I know uh, uh, like you, you, you have other goals and aspirations um, that are taking you to on a different path. Um, what, what do you think someone especially who identifies themselves as being a law enforcement agent their entire adult life? And now they're they're facing some sort of trauma or they're facing retirement. What, what do you what kind of what do you suggest could counteract them self-deleting? You know, it, it it has to start when they enter the academy. Hmm. Um, when I was teaching at the academy, one of the classes I taught was victims of crime. And I would teach the cadets um, as them being the victim of crime. Hmm. And let me explain that is hmm. I, I would tell them, you become victimized every time you go to a traumatic scene. Every time you go to a car, was, car crash where somebody has died. You are experiencing trauma just like these victims are. Mm-hmm. But the problem is you have to handle that scene and go, go on to the next call. Mm-hmm. And you haven't don't have the time to to process that mm-hmm. trauma. You don't have the time to do anything other than compartmentalize it. And mm-hmm. it builds up day by day and by day. Mm-hmm. And that becomes part of the problem. Um, I think that if departments would integrate um, a some type of trauma response for the officers, officers mm-hmm. that are at bad scenes, take those officers off the street for, for at least 24 hours or so just to talk to them, um, address what they saw, address what happened, address the issues, um, let them know that somebody's there. I know you can't take them off the streets for, because, you know, for a length of time, but at least that's a start. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think, there's so much I think that can be done, but just like with everything else, it's going to require funding and then right. it's going to require staffing. Right. Um, yeah. Good. Good answer. Good answer. I, and may I add in the piggyback on that? I know um, uh, some sort of peer assistance counseling is, is available at a lot of in a lot of states and with a lot of departments as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, to deal specifically with officers that are experiencing or have experienced some sort of uh, tragedy or trauma. Also, um, what they suggested going back to my academy days is always having some sort of hobby that um, takes you outside of law enforcement itself. That way you always have something to look forward to, things to get your mind off the current situation. It may be something small, but the small things lead to bigger things because you don't want to always be 100% bogged down with the job, the job, the job, the job, the job. You need some sort of better release otherwise uh pressure breaks pipes and you know, it'll release somehow in some way in your life and you'd rather have control over it as opposed to it controlling you wow you took that straight from my playbook that's what i always tell tell my cadets i would tell them you have to have something else first of all 
one thing that a lot of new officers do, mistake that they make is they give up their old friends and they only mm -hmm. have police friends. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that they talk about what they did that day with their friends and they go over and over all of that trauma that I just talked about. They're going over and over, but it's not a, in a healthy way. Right. It's, it's, it's more that, oh man, if I was there, I would have did this or I would have did that. And you know how that goes. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would tell them that, you know, pick up a, a, a hobby. Mm -hmm. uh, we have so many officers who have businesses that have sprung from those hobbies that they picked mm -hmm. up to alleviate some of the stress. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big things I would encourage them is to, to, to um, don't give up the life that they had prior to coming on department. Um, pick up a hobby, sport, health, watch, watch what you eat. It's very mm -hmm. important. Um, <clears throat> activity. Mm -hmm. All of those things are so important. All those things that you're taught at the academy, we tend mm -hmm. to just sort of let them go once we graduate. You can't let them go. You have to hold on to that. Absolutely. And you, you spoke of keeping the same friends that you had before you actually got on the job. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I tried to do that. Um, and I will say that the majority of the friends that I grew up with uh, that I keep, I still keep in contact with maybe 80%, but there was still that 20%, the 80-20 rule, I guess you would say. It's still the 20% like, wow, you're really going through with this? Wow. And they, they you know, they, they filter away. They, they just kind of, either way, they're removed from your life. And at the point in time, I'm like, wow, we've known each other for however many years. And just because of the occupation I choose to have, then we can no longer be friends. And it's most times, I think, from my experience, it works out for the better because then so, uh, 10, 15, 20 years later, you look down the line and you kind of see your life going a certain direction and you see their life going, or should I say spiraling in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah, that, that can be hard. But, you, you know, even if you have police friends, you have to step away from the job. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Still, don't talk about what you did that day. Talk about whatever interest that you have joint interest that you have together not mm -hmm. the job right and uh when when i talked about uh when i told you earlier about with retirees that's the same thing if mm -hmm. you you this job becomes your identity it's going to be tough for you gotcha it really is well, i want to kind of change gears a little bit uh and talk to those that may be watching now or may watch the replay later uh, individuals like we discussed backstage that are in college or in the military or in, currently in high school right now that are still trying to figure out what they want to do with their life or, and kind of tossing things up. Uh, there's a lot of um, talk about um, yeah, um, um, applying for um, being a police officer or getting into law enforcement. That's kind of dwindled over the years. Uh, recruitment is very tough. You said it was tough before. It's tough now. Um, but what would be your suggestion on some of the challenges on finding on recruiting applicants, finding qualified applicants and retaining officers that are currently in the position? <sighs> um, uh, first of all, I don't think that a recruiter should be focused on somebody who absolutely wants to be an officer. They're going to mm -hmm. they're going to become an officer eventually. They're going to they're going to find a way. Mm -hmm. It's the one I, I never even considered being a police officer. Never. Right. I wouldn't never 30 years ago. I'm like, until I saw my neighbor and his SWAT, he still looked normal. Okay. Let me try this. <laughs> you know? So I tried it and I found out I had a passion for it. I loved gotcha. it. Mm -hmm. So um, look at the people that are unassuming to you. 
Maybe, you know, start recruiting the people that aren't giving you those vibes that I want to be an officer. I wanted to be an officer all my life. Talk to the people that walk past your table, call them back, say, Hey, you know, this is what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. Come on by, come on by to my recruiting office and I'll um, show you some videos and talk to you. You might be surprised. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's the focus. You have, you're going to have to refocus. You're going to have to get very creative when it comes to recruiting, especially with uh, Gen Z, millennials and Gen Z. You're going to have to get very creative. Mm-hmm. It's not about retirement. Uh, they don't care about retirement. These right. guys are making their own retirement through Bitcoin and 401ks, you know, and in all sorts of ways. So, mm-hmm. um the departments are going to have to get a lot more creative when it comes to recruiting in order to start pulling in quality people. Um, I think education is extremely big when I know some departments don't require um, anything but a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to tell my cadets that you're going to have to talk to people at every stage of life. You're going to have to talk to the, that homeless person that you just found in, in, uh, uh, along the curb. Mm -hmm. Your next call may be talking to a, billionaire CEO of a company, you're going to have to be able to communicate with both of these segments of population Mm -hmm. at their level. And so I think education is extremely important. So even if you come on with, uh, with only high school, Mm -hmm. you need to get get into college. You need to get, um, and and as we know, not everybody wants to get a degree, but I think in this job, um, at a minimum, you're going to have to need to take some psychology classes, some sociology classes, things that will help make you better able to deal with people where mm-hmm. they're at. You kind of leads into my next question. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, what skills are preferred uh, for or new hires or applicants or those who are already on the job and say they're um, one to three years in and they're looking that, that they want to um, become a better officer what and they're looking to see what skills they need to tap into uh you know um uh military comes into play uh, like you said sociology psychology believe it or not those of you who are watching if you're not if you don't know how to talk to people that's 90 percent of the job that we that's our interaction is with people and communication yeah communication is everything Um, it's not about the gun. It's not about the taser. It's not about any of those things. I mean, yes, we, we pull our guns when necessary, but you, you, you have to talk to every single encounter you come across. You have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to talk to that person where they're at. Mm -hmm. And, um, you have to understand, uh, communication and psychology enough in order to deescalate. Hmm. And that's a big thing right now. It's always been a big thing. It's just that we have a popular term for it, deescalate. You know, it's always been a thing that we've done. It's hmm. just that um, um, you have to be, you have to understand um, how to do it. Because not everybody knows because it's all about communication. It's, it's not what you say to somebody. It's how you say it. Right. Yeah. Because you can say, anybody can say, two people can say the same thing and one person will, will accept what they said. Another person will turn and walk away because mm-hmm. it was how you said it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I like that. I know. Um, I saw a, a, a meme one time where um, two people are standing on opposite ends of a picture. And on the picture, the picture was on the floor. And on the floor was the person on this side. They could see the number six. Right here, that person like this is number six. And on the opposite end, this person right here is looking at that same picture, and they're looking down. They see the number nine, 
and this person's saying, no, that's a nine, and this person's right, and so is this person. They're both looking at the same picture from two different perspectives, and they're both arguing that their point of view is right. And they're absolutely right. However, they have to take themselves out and transition and look at it from the other person's point of view. And still, both points of view are right, but they're arguing over the same concept. Yep. Uh, how many times do we were we out there at two in the morning listening to that argument <laughs> and then having to make a decision based on that argument? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. Talking about skills that are preferred, are there any other skills that you would suggest other than um, going to, going back to college itself and getting some sort of associate or bachelor's degree? Um, be helpful. I think the biggest skill you can have in as officer is understanding who you are. Hmm, like a lot of people get into this job and they don't even understand who they are, and I think those people tend to struggle. They may not stay. Um, you need to know. Um, you need to know a little bit about yourself mm -hmm. because if you can, if you understand yourself, it makes it that much more easier to understand other people. Right. It may, it, it helps, it, it helps you to be able to empathize with other people. Mm -hmm. And Good. I think an officer needs most, all officers need, they need a healthy dose of empathy mm. because, uh, if they don't have empathy, um, they're probably going to end up fighting somebody more often than actually uh, talking to them and engaging with them. So throughout your career, uh, how do you feel that you've made a positive difference or a positive impact on um, either your, your department or society as a whole in general? Uh, I think I've made an impact by being an officer. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I made an impact, particularly being a female, black female officer, because I've had mm -hmm. little girls come up to me and they're so excited and talking to them. And that's, I mean, that's, I, I loved when I, uh, when recruiting has asked me, like after I left recruiting, the current recruiters, they had asked me to help them with a recruiting event or so. I love that because I love talking to these young girls um, mm -hmm. that, who would come up to me and tell me that while you look strong, and um, but I can never do that. I'm like, okay, but I, I was you, you know, before I before I put this uniform, I was you. You mm -hmm. can do this. You just have to believe you can do it. And I think that helping a, a young girl believe in believe in herself enough that she can raise her hand and take that O at the end of however much she's in that academy, I think that that was so special for me. Um, I still have some of the my former cadets. Uh, mm -hmm. When they see me, talk to me, and, and I, I have to, and if any of them are watching, I have to apologize because I'm horrible at names. I'm great at recognizing them. I'm great at faces. Horrible at names. So they're, they'll, they'll say, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, how are you? And I'm trying to talk, totally talk around their name, hoping somebody else will give me their name because I'm so bad at it. But yeah, um, and, and that makes me feel good because they come back and they tell me they remember something that I told them and mm -hmm. it's helped them out. And that's made it all worth it to me. Good, good, good. What in, in the various aspects on law enforcement that you've worked as as far as um, family crisis on patrol, uh, uh, worked on different agencies or assisted different agencies on different teams um, and recruiting and things along those lines. What would you say is your has been your most favorite experience or most favorite uh, portion of the job to work? Oh, hands down negotiation. I loved being a crisis hostage negotiator. Um, it, it's 
I mean, it, it meets all the requirement of adrenaline, intelligence, psychology, all of the stuff that you need to be a really good officer. You bring that mm -hmm. forward when you are a negotiator. And I absolutely is, um, like I said, I would have did it longer, but the choice was go to the academy or quit the team. And I said, okay, I've been a negotiator for 14 years. So, and I really wanted to teach at the academy. So I left the team, but if I didn't have to leave the team, I would have still been a negotiator because <laughs> I, I absolutely love that job. Gotcha. Gotcha. You hear that? Anyone out there, there's multiple different aspects on just, I know a lot of questions are, well, I don't want to work patrol for my entire career. And there's so many different things that you can do actually within the feel of the um the occupation itself oh definitely and and they have to be aware everybody's going to work patrol when you come on yes this is not hollywood you're not going to get on one day and you go and catch a burglar and they're going to promote you no it's not going to happen um most departments you test for your next rank i know we do we our first rank is detective and you have to test for that uh you test for sergeant you test for lieutenant you test for captain you have to test for these positions so while in between those times enjoy the experience, enjoy the job, get better at it, learn, and then mentor someone when they come on, because there's always a new class coming on. And you can take, you've, you've already been there and you know what they're about to go through. Take the time to mentor them because it makes you better and it makes them better. Good point. Good point. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, stand by quickly. Sergeant B. Safe has another announcement that he has to make. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh, I can't find my purse. I just put it on my desk. I stepped away for two seconds. Now what am I gonna do? It has my keys and IDs. Sergeant, be safe, there you are. Ah yes, I'm right on time to talk about office safety. I walked away for two seconds and now my purse is gone. Can you please help me? I sure can. I think I have a prime suspect right there. Party poopa, be safe. You can't stop me. This HR rep just learned a valuable lesson. Never leave your purse in plain view in common areas at your business. Rob, you're blind, you're caught. Now back to jail. Ooh. And that's your tip of the day from Sergeant B. Safe. I just want to say I find it funny, ladies and gentlemen, that, you know, I haven't heard from a certain individual on the show. They didn't ask a question or anything. And as soon as I play their commercial, all of a sudden they're on and they're making comments in the comment section. I just, I just had I'm just going to point that out there. I'll put it up there again. That's the voice you just heard for the uh, HR rep. That's our fa favorite HR rep. <laughs> Got to give Shayla a shout out right there. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back. Uh, Sergeant B. Safe said his moment of peace that he gave you the tip of the day to get you on your way. But right now we're in the lab with Barbara Tom Thomas, and we, we've learned a lot based on uh, uh, the different aspects on career, 
um, coming up through the ranks, uh, working as a, a hostage negotiator and so many different wonderful things. Barbara, still here? Yes, I am. Perfect. I want to ask you, oh, let me get this off of here. I want to ask you, um, and I know you may not want to put all the information out there, and I'm, I'm not trying to get you to uh, put in any information that you don't want to put out there. What are your, now that you're retired, and a lot of people make their, uh, what are making that their goal uh, to get retired and the other end of law enforcement, the other side of life. What are your three to five year goals that you have right now that you would like to share with us? Um, I want to open a bookstore and coffee shop. I've always, people that knew me, my friends, they knew, I always talked about, it. I want to open a coffee shop. And I, it got delayed because I kept taking jobs because I wanted to try all these new exciting things. Once I retired, you know, I was, it's like, you, I, there's so many things I want to do and I don't, I don't think I have enough time left to do everything that I want to do. But mm -hmm. opening a coffee shop and bookstore is something that I've always had a passion for. Um, mainly a coffee shop, but lately I've, I'm leaning towards the bookstore because okay. i just think um it's just um I, it feeds kids minds mm. and that's what that's the way i look at it i see so many kids that don't read a lot mm -hmm. um because they they're, they really just haven't been introduced to books mm -hmm. I, I i have two sons and people used to think i was crazy i tell my sons rather spend time at barnes and noble than they would at a um a, well okay i lie barnes and noble and the arcade okay, okay. but Barnes and Noble. I mean, I could take them, and I would have to bribe them to leave because they wanted. They would, they would get to the kids section, and I is like, that was their second home. So I want to yeah. see all kids like that because, mm -hmm. to me, books are your, it's your doorway to the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can imagine, imagine yourself being anyone you want when you're reading a book, because you become part of that book. Right. And that's so important to me. And so I want. I that's what I want to do is have a bookstore. Um, provide different events, different things, particularly for kids. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that that's important. I like that idea. I think books are very important. I'm not just saying that as a plug for the book <laughs> written, but uh, I too, um, I read a lot of books when I was younger. Uh, it sparked my imagination on so many different uh, wonderful things, being superheroes, one in the space, flying, so many different things. And then I kind of stop. you hit those teenage years and you just kind of revert back to just being stubborn and think you know everything, kind of stopped until I think I became an adult again and uh, was learning about life and myself. And I started reading self-help books and just learning from experiences from people who wrote books that are, no, that are dead now, but that I could see how their situation could relate to mine. And learning from that, not, not actually having to go through their situation, but reading how they went through it, and you glean so much knowledge. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I am absolutely. Yep. But let me ask you that. I, I, good luck with that situation. I hope you flourish. And and when visiting San Antonio, I definitely got to stop in the bookstore and, and get a, a caramel mochiato or whatever the equivalent <laughs> be, and, and see how good that bookstore is going to be. Oh, I hope it's going to be great. I think it will be. I believe it will be. Um, we had a great live, and, and through the course of the conversation, I may have forget, forgotten to ask uh, certain questions, or I may have even jogged your memory on things that we, you might want to touch on that I may not have asked about. Is there anything right now that you want to put out there? Right now, the floor is yours. Um, I just think um, being an officer is a fantastic job especially for people that don't like working indoors. It is a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. I know that we do get a lot of um, 
bad media because things happen. But, you know, I think if, if, if an individual keeps it in perspective, there are people that have issues in every industry um, that you could you, you name an industry and you're going to find people that have issues just like with police departments. Yes, we have our problem, problem children. And um, but every industry does from medical to education to tech to finance. Um, you know, it's just that we're we're in the media. Mm-hmm. So it becomes more apparent. So I think that um, uh, don't don't just assume that just because you read something in the paper or saw something that all of us are bad. All of us need to be um, uh, re-educated or are kicked off the department or whatever it is that you feel. Um, when you see an officer, go up to them and ask them, how, how's their day going? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to fight you off. They're not going to push you away. They may look at you like because most officers don't like people approaching them, but just approach them and ask them, how's your day going, officer? You might be surprised, okay, because not many people do that to us. Mm-hmm. And it's great when they do, because if you ask me how my day is going, I'm going to tell you how my day is going. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a great question, a great comment as well. That's not, you know, we, you, we hear so much on um, the negativity. Um, and normally I, I say this a lot that uh, most times we deal with a, a lot of people, 90% of the people that we deal with, we deal with in a bad situation to them. Uh, and it's their worst day ever. And we're dealing with them through that moment. So we get a lot of the backlash of their worst day ever. And, and I know we get dumped on a lot, but then also if someone's having a great day or you, you're, you're just, just traveling through and having someone come up, thank you, officer. Like, wow, that's so rare and uh, what's the angle for this thank you or how's it going today i'm like oh it takes you back for a minute because you're waiting to hear i need directions to this or you guys are a joke or whatever it may be and and you're waiting to deal with whatever's about to come but hey i really appreciate everything you did on such and such oh okay thank you but it really does mean a lot after you get an opportunity to digest it yeah it does and you're right because nobody calls us when they're having a good day because when their day has just gone to the point where they can't even cope anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then they wonder why we have attitudes. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we see the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes it can become a struggle. Mm-hmm. There we go. There we go. Barbara, I want to thank you for coming to the lab to black and blue and, and highlighting your experiences with law enforcement and things that you would like to uh, take a hold of in the future. I hope the um, bookstore coffee shop is very, uh, is you flourishing and I hope it's very beneficial. I hope it's exciting and truly a success for you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. I, I, I can't thank you enough because experience trumps actual guessing that a lot of people are a lot of a lot of the younger generation are kind of uh, um, going through right now. And you've given us a lot of experience. Thank you so much, Clee. I really enjoyed being here. I mean, I, I thought I was going to be nervous and crazy about this, but it's been it's been a wonderful wonderful experience. Thank you. Yeah, you did a great job. We're gonna have to have you back on here in the near future. Are you up to it? Sure. 
Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we go live once a week with an officer uh, here on Black and Blue, whether they're uh, a rookie, brand new, a seasoned officer or a retiree. Uh, we go live with their experiences. Make sure you guys bring your question. We will be live again here sometime next week. So tune in. I uh, appreciate you. We love you. You guys have a good night. And don't forget about Sergeant BC. School is officially back in session. So remember kids, while standing at the bus stop, stay on the sidewalk or someplace out of the way of traffic. And drivers, you may need to leave your house a little earlier to stop for those stop school buses. Hey, watch out! Oh, come on, I'm running late for work. Hey, pull over. You could almost cause an accident or worse yet, hit a kid running late for the bus stop. So take this as a lesson. If you pass a bus with its flashers on and stop sign out, you'll get pulled over and could lose your license. Well, I'm glad no one got hurt. Unfortunately, I just lost my license for a while. And that's your tip of the day from Sergeant BC. Subscribe now.